Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. Amen. So last Sunday morning, we're, we're, in, we're in our series, This is Amazing Grace. And last Sunday morning, I talked about, or my theme last Sunday was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And if you hear last Sunday, we heard some great stories of life change, of how God is really transforming the lives of people who've become part of our church family. It was just exciting and moving to hear them, wasn't it? If you missed that... Um, you missed it. So, no, if you missed that, um, you could go to our church website, genesisli.com, and see the video or listen to the audio there on our website. Well worth it. Um, well, well worth it. And, and what I did last week in our teaching was we established the fact that our relationship with God has got nothing to do with how worthy we are, how good we are, how fit we are for the family of God. It's just got everything to do with this fact that God loved us, God wants us, God drew us to himself, and God saved us by his grace. And that's what we were looking at last, last Sunday morning. Uh, probably one of the key verses and key statements was this, the simple statement, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. The other week, some, some folks very kindly gave me a, a gift certificate to my favorite restaurant, and uh, I was very happy to see that. And, and, and you know, when I got the gift certificate, I did not get in touch with them and say, how much do I owe you? Right? It was a gift. It was a gift. Eternal life is a gift from God. The price of it was already paid in full through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've done away with this question. And, and really, you've got to put to death within you the lie that often might rise up that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not really fit. And you've really got to recognize this, that Jesus' worth covers all of our unworthiness. And I'm not part of the family of God today because I'm a good guy. I'm a part of the family of God because Jesus died for me. Jesus paid the debt in full. And then today we're going to look at it, take another phrase from, from the well-known hymn. My, my theme today is that the grace that saved me is grace will lead me home. Grace will lead me home. It's just around now, 51 years ago, I know a lot of you weren't even born, but this is history you need to know. About 51 years ago, this time of year, my wife and I started dating. How cute is that? Isn't that cute? And we started dating, and, and, and at that time, she had a lot of friends from, a, a, from an Indian background, so she liked Indian food, which was fantastic, because I do too. Right. And she liked sitar music. Now, if you don't know what a sitar is, you don't need to, okay? It sounds like six feral cats being strangled in the middle of the night. It's, you, you don't need to know what a sitar is. It's awful, 
And she had this, this, this one, she had this one album, right? Vinyl. Vinyls make a comeback, I hear, right? Stick around, right? So she had this one, a guy called Ravi Shankar, who was a, kind of the top guy that there was playing the sitar, and she'd play it now and again. I hated it. Hated it. But sometimes, sometimes when we're, we were sitting down together, you know, uh, she said, I'm going to put some music on. I said, that's cool. She said, what shall I put on? I said, put on Ravi Shankar. She said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear that. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> when you're insecure in the first stages of a relationship, you lie through your teeth, right? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, yeah, I'd really love to. And I'd sit there and say, wow, that was a good one. And it was, it was her, I still have nightmares. <laughs> in fact, since we're going to be married 50 years in December, I think I can tell her now that I don't like sitar music. I, I, I might be, no, we haven't listened to it for years, praise God. Um, <laughs> but I was insecure in the relationship. It was new. It was a new relationship. I was afraid she was going to change her mind. Any of you been there? Yeah, it was a few years ago maybe, but stir it up, right? I was afraid she was going to change her mind. So I want to do everything I could to kind of continue to endear myself to her So because I didn't want her to drop me. But you know the sad thing is there are a lot of Christians who live their relationship with God that way. They're afraid God's going to drop them. They're afraid they're going to kind of go over the threshold where he says, yep, done with you. And one of the important things for us to grasp is this, that when God saves us by his grace, that grace will keep us every step of the journey. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this, that a lot of us know. We know the inner voice of the Holy Spirit that tells us, uh-uh, you shouldn't have done that. Right? Right? So, God will guide us. God will correct us. But the Bible makes it very clear. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus paid the price in full. So, I'm not holding on for dear life, you know, just hoping and trusting and wishing that I'll get there in the end because the fact is this, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting that, of course, the Bible wasn't initially written in chapters. It was broken down by translators into chapters. But where it says there in Romans 8.1, it starts with the word, therefore. So it's actually referring back to what was being said before. If you look at the end of, just take my word for it for now, look at the end of Romans chapter 7. At the end of Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul, great man of God as he was, is talking about a huge dilemma that he wrestled with. And here's what it was. He said, you know what? The good things that I want to do, so often I don't do. And the bad things that I don't want to do, Sometimes I find myself doing. Here's what he says. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. 
Now, that's the Apostle Paul. Now, you and I can identify with that, right? Okay, yes would have been a good answer, but we'll keep moving. All right, right? We can identify with that, right? Because there are times when we don't do the good things that we really want to do, and there are times when we do the bad things that we don't want to do. And there are times when we look at ourselves and say, I don't often say, oh, wretched man that I am, to tell you the truth. That's from the King James. But I look at myself and think, you know what? So he talks about this battle that goes on, and it's a battle he loses sometimes and some days. But then he goes straight on. The next thing he says is, therefore, though, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God knows we're battling. God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts want to do the right thing, don't want to do the wrong thing. But here's the thing that goes over it all. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to replace a system of rules and regulations with a simple new era of his grace and of his love. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, it says this, a new power is in operation. This is what happens within us when we give our lives to Jesus. A new power is in operation, the spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took the human condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity, that was us, in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, what they had before, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never do that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. Under the system of the law, here are the rules. You broke the rules. Here's what you do. Penance. It applied a Band-Aid, but it couldn't deal with the heart of the thing. And what the Bible tells us here is when God sent Jesus, he went for the jugular. He finished it once and for all. Our debt, our debts were totally paid in full. The things we did before we were saved, the things that we might have done already today, and the things we might do tomorrow, the reality is this. Christ is the sufficient sacrifice for all of our shortcomings. I love that. I love that. And then when he goes down to the end of the chapter, I could really take six months in Romans 8, I think. When he goes down to the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to take a good look at that because I want to just pause here for a moment. I am convinced, he says. I'm convinced that all these things can't separate us from the love of God. Death can't do it. Death can't separate us from the love of God. 
In fact, what death will do for followers of Jesus is it will take us to God who is love. When we experience death of those we love and those around us, those experiences won't separate us from the love of God. God will keep loving us. Life won't separate us. Life. There's a lot in that word, isn't there? Life happens. So much going on. If, you know, so much going on in, in, in all of our lives right now. Different things in every one of our lives. You know, life is happening for all of us. But whatever is happening in your life this morning, I want to tell you this. It will not be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in death. Nothing in life. He says, neither angels nor demons. There's some people who live their lives freaked out in case the devil gets them. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the devil can't get you. He has no hold on you. He has no grip on you. There's some, man, I've met some Christians. It's like they almost look under the bed at night to make sure there are no demons before they'll get in. I don't know what they do. I don't know what a demon looks like, but if they saw one, they'd probably totally freak out. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I hear people talk about, you know, prophetic statements in the scripture about end times and Jesus coming, and, and they get all uptight, and they're all nervous, and they're all afraid. And, and, but the fact is this. The future is all good. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Life's highs, life's lows can't do it. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that means? That means that grace will lead me home. God will take me all of the way. All of the way. When the Apostle Paul was kind of in prison in Rome waiting the end of his death, he, he wrote to his uh, young uh, follower, son in the faith, in first, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. And he said to Timothy, look, I know where I'm at, but I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that day. You may be sitting here on a particularly rocky Sunday morning for your life and where your life's at. But I want to tell you, the one to whom you've entrusted yourself will keep you until that day when you see him and this journey has ended. Grace will lead me home. So inevitably now we come down to three statements, right? Because I do that every week. Number one, the Father watches over us. How can I know that I'm safe? How can I know that I'm secure in my faith? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that the Father is watching over us. When, um, when our daughter, who was just up before me, Charlotte was, uh, I don't know, three years old. Let's, let's say three years old-ish. We, we were at a beach one day, and we'd had a great day at the beach. And Jill and I were packing everything up to get ready to leave the beach and you know, it's like when you go with a child to the beach or anywhere, right? Right? You, you, as soon as you get a baby, you forget the days where you just jump in the car and say, let's go here. You know, now you need to get a removal truck to take you just to go to the beach. So, so we're packing up everything that we've, you know, everything we had to take to the beach. And we're packing it away. And then at one point, I looked up and Charlotte wasn't anywhere to be seen. So we've been caught up in getting everything organized, and 
She had been there, but she was nowhere to be seen. A lot of people on this beach, no sight of her. That's a terrifying experience for a parent. Terrifying. And, and, and what's, it's, not just that, you know, it's not just that you don't know where she is. There's, it's incredible how many terrible scenarios can play through in your mind. Seriously, in, in a few seconds, right? And, and I said to Jill, I'm going to go up this side, part of the beach. You go down that bit of the beach. And looking, can't see a side of her. And then after what seemed an eternity, but it probably was only a couple of minutes, there's a guy comes walking along the beach carrying Charlotte. And what was amazing is that about a year before, I'd been pastoring a church in a different part of the country. And this guy was also a pastor in the same town. We'd moved. He'd just gone to that beach for the day. But he recognized Charlotte, and he called her over, and he brought her back to us. God never did that with anybody. God never lost anybody. I know that my life is secure because the Father watches over me. He knows where I am every moment of the day. And even when I'm wandering off, he still knows where I am. And sometimes he'll let me wander off because in my wanderings, there's stuff I've got to learn and there are ways in which I've got to grow. But God knows exactly where I am. And sometimes in my wandering, I'm going to go through some real challenges in life. And because God's got the picture, for whatever reason, he's got the big picture, he's going to let me go through those troubling times as well. But the fact is, the Father is always watching over us. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter says this to the people that he's writing to. He says, you, you are those who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God till everything's fulfilled in the last time. Before Jesus was crucified, the night before his crucifixion, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, John chapter 17 gives us an insight into the prayer of Jesus. And part of what he prays and says to the Father is this. He said, those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost. How many, of the, how many people did Jesus lose? None. So he could say to the Father, everybody you gave me, I've kept them, and I have not lost a single one. I want to tell you this. Jesus' track record is still absolutely perfect. Those who've become his, there is not a single person that he has ever lost. The Father watches over us. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus is talking about himself as being a shepherd, and he said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus said, I, I know those who are mine. 
And I give them eternal life. So when we trust Christ as our Savior, the, what we receive is the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. So when I received Christ as my Savior, May the 13th, 1962, I received the gift of eternal life. From that day forward, I was going to live with Jesus forever. Amen. Everybody lives forever, but they either live a life with God forever or a life separated from God forever. But on that day and that year, I received the gift of eternal life. Nothing changes that fact here I am, I've received the gift of eternal life. And Jesus says, because you received the gift of eternal life, you're never going to perish. And here's why you're never going to perish, because nobody can take you out of my hand. When my second grandson, uh, Benjamin, was small, I used to offer to arm wrestle him. And... Uh, I would let him win. He's 18 years old now. He's really shaped like I would be, but you've got to use your imagination. Uh, he's, you know, he is absolutely ripped. He goes to the weight room 6 o'clock every morning. You know, he's taking stuff to build himself up. Who ever heard of that? Most of us are trying to stop stuff so that we can go down, right? So he's, you know, so, so he's, you know, he's... I don't offer to arm wrestle him anymore. <laughs> Who can take you out of Jesus' hand? I mean, really. And then he emphasized it. He said, my father who's given them to me is greater than all. Nobody can snatch them out of my father's hand. So here are you as a child of God today, but around you, life might be rough right now. Around you, things might be really stormy. And around you, there might be things that are causing you to be afraid and to be anxious. But what I want you to know is there's not one single thing that can open the hand of God and rip you out because God's got you now and for the whole of eternity. Now, in church circles over centuries, people have liked to argue about this. Because people who, who like to live Christian life by rules, mainly rules they impose on others, say, well, what does that mean then? That means whatever you do, you're still a Christian. Whatever you do, you're still saved. That can't be right. Well, if it can't be right, you tell me, what's the cutoff point? People say to me, do you believe in once saved, always saved? That's the phrase they normally use. And I say, no, I don't. I just believe the Bible. Do you believe in eternal security? No, I believe the Bible. I believe that once we give our lives to Jesus, we're in his hand. And good luck to anybody trying to get you out of there because it ain't going to happen. Amen. Jude, the book of Jude, verse 24, says this. It speaks about God in this way. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And it goes on and talks about praise being to God. It describes God as being the one who can keep us from stumbling and the one who will present us before his presence without fault and with great joy. The Father watches over us. 
Our grace will lead us home because the Son prays for us. There was a time when Jesus was talking to Simon, one of his disciples, and Simon, he, Jesus knew, was going to go through a really testing time. And in Luke 22 and verse 31, he said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. You said, Simon, I've, I've prayed for you. Now, now, Simon's real test, I guess, was, was at the time when Jesus was arrested and Simon came to deny that he even knew Jesus. He really sunk to some depth. But before that, Jesus said, look, the devil's going to try to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, but I've prayed for you. The devil would like our greatest failures to be the things that really make us fall apart. But I want to tell you this. When Jesus prayed for Simon, his faith did not totally fail. And he turned around and he rejoined his brothers and continued to be a leader among them. Jesus prayed for him. Now, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, it says this. Therefore... He, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercession is an intense prayer. So what's Jesus doing living in heaven right now? Well, the Bible says he lives to intercede for those who've come to him, come to God through him. So that means that in heaven today... Jesus is praying for you, for me. Now, we often say with prayer that there's three ways God answers. Yes, no, wait. Right? In the course of my life, I've experienced quite a few no's. Have you? Yeah. Actually, to be honest, I've, I've, to be honest, well, I try to be when I'm up here. Um, <laughs> that was a crazy phrase, wasn't it? To, but, but really, a lot of the no's, I've come to see the wisdom of God in as time went by. I was like, thank you, Lord, you didn't do that. You actually did know better than I did. Thanks for not taking my advice. <laughs> I've known no's. I've known waits. I've got a few of them going on still in my life. But let me ask you this. When the Bible tells me that Jesus is praying for me, you think that's going to work? I think he probably got a better track record with prayers answered than I've got, right? He is praying for us. There was a little old lady who was part of our church when I was a teenager, Miss Dighton. No idea what her first name was. We didn't call people by their first names in those days. It was Mr. or Mrs. Miss. Miss Dighton, a little old lady. She used to wear a big coat and a, and, and a kind of a hat close to her head. And she'd shuffle into church late. Apparently, she got a bus and it arrived at that particular time. Shuffled into church late and she always came. She sat down about three rows back right there. And there was a whole bunch of us teenagers. We sat near the back, of course, and uh, we were hanging out there. And, you know, Miss Dighton, I, I never had any calls to have any much interaction. If we passed, and I'd say, hello, Miss Dighton, nice to see you. How are you? But, yeah, you know, I didn't really know the lady. 
And then there came the Sunday when I was leaving our church to go to Bible school to train to be a pastor. And she came up to me after that service and she said, Roger, I just wanted to tell you this. The first day you came into this church, I started praying for you. And I have prayed for you every single day from that day to now. And now that you're going away, I want you to know I will still be praying for you. I thought that was fantastic. That was so humbling. I was, I was just moved so much by that. I had not, Honestly, to me, I'm a teenager. She's a little old lady in the church. But actually, who knows how much her prayers impacted my journey through those teenage years, and particularly as my heart turned to serving God. Hey, there were people who prayed for you. That's why you're here today. There are people there prayed for you when you had no thought of God, maybe no interest in God, but you know what? Their prayers started things rolling. And in heaven today, Jesus prays for us. In his prayer, going back to his prayer in John chapter 17, he says this. He says, I will remain in the world no longer. He's talking to his father right before the crucifixion. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So the prayer of Jesus here is, Father, I'm not going to be with them much longer, so I, I want to ask you this. Will you protect them by the power of your name? Did, is that prayer going to work? Yes, that prayer is going to work. That prayer must work. That prayer still works. The prayer of Christ for, the, for those who come to be his followers, he says, Father, will you look after them? And I want to tell you, grace will lead us home because the Father is watching over us and the Son is praying for us. Verse 15 of that chapter. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus never lost anybody, and none of us will be the first. The Son prays for us. And then thirdly, I know that my salvation, that I am safe in God's hands because the Spirit reminds me. The Spirit reminds me of who I belong to. Ephesians 1, verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Look at this next bit. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says, when, when, you, when you, were believe, you believe, the Holy Spirit came to you, and there's like this seal uh, that tells you whose you are, and it guarantees that God is going to keep you, and your inheritance is something you're going to enjoy in heaven. If things had gone the way I planned this year, I was all booked. I should be preaching in Mumbai, India this morning. But my life took a slightly different course this year, as some of you know, and I canceled that. 
The first time I ever took Jill with me to India, I had saved up for several years frequent flyer miles so that we could fly business class. And uh, <laughs> it's another world, right? So we flew, we flew business class, and what I loved about it is they tagged our baggage specially. We get on the flight, you know, among the first. We get off the flight first. I get to the luggage carousel in Mumbai, and I see all the tagged business baggage coming out, and I'm thinking, I love this life. Except ours didn't come. Well, it did come eventually, but they were the very last cases on the carousel from a flight of several hundred people. And they were still tagged business, priority. God says, when you, when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit put a tag on you. That's the idea with a seal. In those days, if you were sending a letter, you'd... Do some of you still remember letters? Right. If you were sending a letter, it was a scroll that was written on papyrus, and it was rolled up, and, and, and then, it, then it would, they would put hot wax on it in Bible days, and then they'd put... The, the, the person sending the letter often would have a ring with spe something specific in it, and that became the seal. And the seal showed it was his letter. The Bible says when we gave our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit sealed us. What the Holy Spirit did from that day on said, she's mine. He's mine. Identified us individually as belonging to God. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. It's the inner voice that's the foundation of our faith. The inner voice that tells me, yes, I am. Miracle of miracles. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Wherever you are at today, I want you to know that you will be kept by the power that saved you until the day when this journey is complete. You may deviate from the road sometimes. God's still got you. God's still got you. Sometimes he'll just let you go. But he'll bring you back again. Grace will lead us home. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you how I know. My grandfather was a big man. He's a big guy. He was scary to me as a kid. When we were in my grandfather's house every Saturday afternoon, we were told, behave yourselves and don't say anything. Like, hey, granddad, nice to see you too. Uh, but he was a big guy. And, and I, was, I was kind of, one of the things that always impressed me, he had this huge leather belt that he always wore, a big belt. But he always wore a vest as well. And some days he'd open his vest, and as well as his belt, he'd have suspenders on. And even as a child, I thought, that's weird. Like, you got a belt or you got suspenders. Why, why'd you need both? And I guess he wanted to be doubly sure his pants didn't fall down. But it was, it was, it was kind of weird to me. How do I know grace will lead me home? I've got three things that are going to keep me up. The Father watches over me. The Son prays for me. And the Spirit 
reminds me. Grace will lead us home. Let's pray together.